Welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. The hosts are Matt Gardner, Walid Amar, and Pradeep Dasigi. Okay, today our guest is Stephen Cow, who is an undergraduate at the University of California at Berkeley, doing undergraduate research with Dan Klein and with PhD student Nikita Kitaev, who is also at Berkeley. Stephen, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been thinking a lot about multilingual stuff, especially with transformers, like how do multilingual um, representations work inside of a transformer? And Stephen and collaborators had a nice paper at iClear 2020 that deals with this in a pretty nice way. The paper is titled Multilingual Alignment of Contextual Word Representations. So I thought, Stephen, to get us started, can you give us just an overview of what a multilingual transformer is? Yeah, so basically... I like to explain it with multilingual BERT, but with regular BERT, you train on just English Wikipedia and you do mass language modeling, which means you mask a word and then you tell the model to predict that word. So in multilingual BERT, what you do is you do that same objective, but you first concatenate all of the Wikipedias for like 100 languages and you concatenate them together. And then now you shuffle it and now your bash contains multiple languages. And Somehow this has the effect of having a transformer where the representations are shared across languages in the sense that if you train on English data, you'll achieve reasonable accuracy on other languages without any data from those languages. How do you actually... So the only thing that seems like it's multilingual in there is that I have some shared vocabulary and I'm training that my representation of that shared vocabulary to work on multiple languages. Is that correct? Yeah, that's why it was surprising to me at first, because you're just concatenating the Wikipedias and you're computing your word piece vocabulary on that. But there are some like hypotheses from previous papers that go into more like detail on how that might be occurring. Do you have any summary of what those are? Yeah. So if you recall the unsupervised alignment work in the non-contextual case, there's one paper by Mikhail Artechi where he did... So in the unsupervised case, you have a dictionary of word pairs, but you start with just numbers. And then given a dictionary, you can learn a mapping between word vectors of two languages that tries to minimize the distance between word pairs in that dictionary. So what he did is he alternated between inducing the dictionary using nearest neighbors with your aligned embeddings, and then also using the bigger dictionary to now realign your embeddings. And then once you have better alignments, you then add more words to your dictionary and then you repeat. So the theory by Tamil Pyers in his ACL paper titled How Multilingual is Bert, he had a similar idea where you first start with shared subwords like URLs and numbers. And since they're the same subword, they must have the same embedding. So their representations are automatically shared by the virtue of having a shared vocabulary. And then anything that co-occurs with these subwords should then also have similar representations because that's how the embeddings are calculated. So there's kind of like a ripple effect where you start with shared numbers and URLs, and then you get to align things that are co-occurring with those and then co-occurring with the things that co-occur with them and so on. And then you get like a pretty good alignment afterward. So I, I really like this theory and I think it makes a lot of sense. And so this is, in some sense, assuming that when people use numbers in text in different languages, the way they use those numbers is going to be similar across the languages. Yeah. 
And I guess URLs as well, or like names like Barack Obama or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, definitely names also. And even like, let's say we assume a handwritten small many-to-many alignment dictionary, like apple and manzana for Spanish or something. I give, I give a few word pairs that I know align, at least in some of their senses. And just to give listeners a little bit more intuition, like you, you can do the same thing, but it again relies on this assumption that if I use the word apple in some context in English, the words that I see around it are similar to the same words that I see around manzana in Spanish. And if I, I guess it, it's like maybe language is a reflection of the human experience. And so that's why this works because um, people talk about similar things across different cultures and languages and whatever. I feel like that has to be what, like the assumption behind what's making this work. Yeah, definitely. Does this make sense? Like, I guess if you had a completely different culture, then it might not work as well because they talk about things totally differently. So I guess then there's this question. So like languages have... Even if like word co-occurrences are similar across different languages, the way that languages put these things together is going to be very different. And mm-hmm. so even if you can say, maybe I can align things at like layer zero of a transformer, just the, the base word piece embeddings, you have some function that combines meaning across the different word pieces. This is the self-attention, the stacked self-attention stuff inside a transformer. That function is going to have to behave in some similar way across languages in order to get like span representations that are similar across languages, right? Or the big juicy red apple. And if I get a translation of that in Spanish, I want the the embedding of the entire phrase in English to be similar to the entire embedding, uh, the embedding of the entire phrase in Spanish. But this this relies on more than just my word pieces having the same embedding. It relies on the functions being working in similar ways across both these languages, even though the word order and the composition might be radically different between these languages. So again, I guess the question is, how how does this actually work? How does it, does it work? How does it work? Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess I don't really have a good answer to like how that actually works, but my intuition on it is just going back to the mass language modeling objective and trying to look at like words around a word, but masking the word itself and trying to predict it. I think that if you have a multilingual transformer and you give it a bunch of sentences with varying languages, but you don't tell it which sentence is from which language, it'll probably learn to ignore word order and just look at correlations. Like if you have juicy and red, then apples probably nearby, but that doesn't mean it has to come directly after or directly before especially because like the languages you're getting in, you don't know which language you get based on like a special token or anything. So that would be my hypothesis, just that like in this objective, you learn to get correlations with like distance rather than like absolute position. Interesting to think about this. Yeah. Because like one way to test that hypothesis is like look at the informativeness of the positional encodings or something across different languages yeah. or, or across a monolingual versus multilingual BERT or or something like that. Or or maybe like I know people have done studies where they look at particular attention heads and see how much they correspond to like finding syntax. Or maybe you just have that you make use of more of the heads. I know I know a lot of these works, like we had an episode with Elena Voita. And others have studied this too, like where you can prune out most of the heads and still get similar function. 
maybe a multilingual model is using more of the heads and just has more functions that are language specific. I'm skeptical that like it doesn't know anything about the syntactic relationship across the different languages. Yeah, that's and yeah. so it's it's got to do something, but maybe it's using its previously unused capacity. Like I, I don't know. Just, there are just lots of interesting questions here. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I guess your paper tries to get at at least one small piece of answering this puzzle. Mm -hmm. And so we should probably move now to talking about your work. And so you tried to take the contextual representations in a multilingual model, multilingual transformer, and align them. Yes. Do you want to give us an outline of what, what's going on in this paper? Yeah. So we looked at multilingual BERT and we saw that it had some zero-shot performance. And intuitively, you would expect that the only way you can achieve zero-shot performance is if the embeddings are aligned, as in like, for the example of XNLI, which is cross-lingual natural language inference, you take in two sentences and you predict whether they're contradictory, implying each other or neither. And you take in their sentence embeddings and you spit out a classification. So if you're achieving zero shot, then you have to have similar embeddings for the same sentence in two languages. Otherwise, the classifier will just like not do the right thing. So given this intuition, we wanted to kind of formalize it and test it and see if we can push it further. So we looked at past work on non-contextual alignment and we came up with simple extensions to the contextual case. So we, instead of like bilingual dictionary induction, we have contextual word retrieval and Instead of regular alignment, we have contextual alignment. And then we looked at whether alignment predicts zero-shot performance, whether you can improve zero-shot performance with alignment, and these sorts of things. Okay, so you enforced this alignment between the languages using, or you encoded it into a loss function that you could directly optimize. Do you want to tell us about how you did that? Yeah. So intuitively, if you have a parallel corpus with word pairs, then if you want the embeddings to be aligned, then you'll want the embeddings for two word pairs to be similar. So like cat in one language and cat in the other language. So you can put this in a loss function by just summing over all of the word pairs in your corpus and looking at the distance between the embedding for one of the words and the other word. And we use squared L2 distance. And another term you have to add is if you just have this loss function where you look at this distance between word pairs, the problem is that there are a lot of degenerate solutions, like the model can just output zero for everything, and then it gets perfect alignment. So you want to also preserve the structure of the embedding space, or like what, what about the embedding space that makes it useful? So we did this by fixing the embeddings for one of the languages and letting the embeddings for the other language move toward that. So you add an extra term where you take, you freeze the initial BERT model and you look at your BERT model on like your current iteration. And then you take every word in your English corpus and you compare the, you look at the distance between your current model and the initial model. And then you penalize that distance. So you have two terms, the this English fixing distance and then the distance between English and your previous language or your, your foreign language. And then you try to minimize both of those. So just to paraphrase back to be sure I understood, you basically, you're taking all of the confident alignments that you have in a parallel corpus, mm -hmm. and you're saying, my representation of these parallel words should be the same. Yes. And I should change my representation of these words such that they're the same, but not too different from my original encoding. Yeah, exactly. 
So this sounds like basically identical to what you would do in the non-contextual case, mm -hmm. other than you have a function on top of, you don't just take a baseboard embedding, you have a, fun a contextualization function on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And is that, is that fair? That's part of it. But at the same time, in the non-contextual case, people used matrices. So they would apply a matrix to one of the embedding spaces and the matrix was constrained to be orthogonal, which means it's a rotation. So you can think of it as rotating one embedding space into the other. So what we're doing is we're, we have a contextualization function on top of the embeddings, as BERT does, but we're changing the weights of both the matrix, the embedding matrix, and the contextualization function. So we're just changing all the weights, and we're not using any matrices at all. Because the contextualization function is already sufficiently parameterized to do whatever you want. Yeah, basically. I guess this sounds, when you say it like that, it seems like a pretty simple idea, but it also seems like it should work pretty well. Yes, so it does work pretty well. Yeah, just to be clear, you keep saying word pairs. So the assumption here is that we are uh, with one-to-one uh, -one alignments, correct? Yeah, so we'll start with a parallel corpus. We'll run an IBM model in both directions to get word alignments. We'll keep the intersection and then we'll keep the one-to-one -one alignments from the intersection. Okay, so I guess we'll uh, talk about the specific details of the corpus and uh, uh, how you I mean, what you do with these alignments and maybe the limitations and all of that later. But uh, I just wanted to make a quick point that when you're relying on one-to-one -one alignments, you would probably miss out on possible one-to-many alignments and many-to-one alignments, which could also be a lot more informative, correct? Not quite, because we're taking the intersection first and okay. then we're taking the one-to-one -one alignments. So if you have a one-to-many alignment, in one of the IBM model directions, it'll be one-to-many. But in the other IBM model direction, it'll be one-to-one -one because the word that gets many alignments can only pick one alignment. So when you take the intersection, a word that has multiple words aligned to it in the other language will have to pick one of them. Okay. And then that'll already be one-to-one. -one. And then we just keep that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. But I guess this still has an issue where if I have two words, say like pick up. Mm -hmm. I pick something up and it like I have a word and a verb and a particle in English, which is always just encoded as a single, a single verb in some other language mm -hmm. because they've lexical, like they, they've grammaticalized, I forget the word, um, like actually merged the particle with in, in English or just had a verb that, that had the meaning that, that English needs a particle for in the first place. They just had a verb for it. What would happen in that case? What would happen is that the single word in the other language would just get one of the words. So as an example, if you have would like to in English, like I would like to go, there's a single German word. I'll probably not pronounce this correctly, but it's merkte, which means would like to. And it, it gets aligned to like. And the would and the two are just like thrown out. But that's okay because we have contextual embedding. So the like is actually would like to, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, this makes me think of, of like whether word alignments here is actually the right place to do this alignment. If the even the, the the token level contextual embedding, if this is the right place to do an alignment. Yeah, I've thought about doing subword alignment. Like keep it like first run the corpus through Bert's subword vocabulary and then do like fast align on top of that instead of just the word like the words as their units. I think it would also work, maybe work better, but I haven't tried it. 
But I guess assume that German word got just a single word piece. Mm-hmm. You still have the same problem, right? Yeah, I guess the subword thing would take care of like inflection or morphology where you have like ed like played is maybe it's split into play and ed and then you'd align play and ed separately but you're right in that like single word units that are really common would not be broken up yeah that's being perhaps a bit optimistic about the morphology that you can recover from a word piece alignment or a, a word piece segmentation but point taken Still, though, I wonder, we could take a step back and think about, like, I, I remember the, what is it, Voronoi, the, the triangle that um, back in the days of statistical machine translation, everyone always talked about, where, like, you can do translation at the word level or at the phrase level or using syntax or go all the way up the triangle to this magical interlingua. Yeah. In some sense, that is exactly what these multilingual transformer models are doing. Like, they're encoding text in some language into something that's like an interlingua. Mm-hmm. How well it actually works is a different question, but that's that's like the modeling assumption that's going on here. Yeah. You're getting to a, a single shared representation space. But why should that representation space be aligned at this at the segment level instead of just like if I could get a single vector encoding everything? Like these these word alignments make this a little bit tricky. Like there are some languages that will smash everything together into a single token and Mm -hmm. it's not at all it seems unlikely to get like a shared representation between them but if i could have like some again magical represent like single vector representation for the content of a sentence then perhaps i could enforce alignment better there does this is this making any sense at all yeah that makes sense like i guess you could think of the bert cls token as being the sentence encoding and then you could try aligning the cls tokens so we did try this, where you take the parallel corpus and you don't even compute word alignments and you just align the sentence vectors. And it does work, but it doesn't work as well. And what I think is that you just get more supervision if you also align the words, because you have a sentence and it has like 30 words. And you have to do all this computation to get all of the embeddings. And then you throw all of them away and just align the CLS embeddings when you could have just aligned like 70% of the words or however many had alignments. That's really, yeah, Yeah. okay, interesting. I think that the vectors are contextual, kind of alleviates some of the issue where you have like a huge word in Hungarian that means that has like a bunch of inflection and then you have like multi-words in English. The fact that it's contextual means that you would hope that like one of the words in English would have enough information to encapsulate the meaning of the whole phrase. And then if you align that to the huge word in Hungarian, then it should just work. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good point. To use some slightly different terminology that makes more sense to me, each phrase has a head, and you could imagine that you get some head alignment between the languages. And so the vector for the head encodes all of its arguments, or the, like the whole phrase, and then just aligning the head might be sufficient in your loss function yeah. to get useful similarity. That's a really good point. Yeah, that would be the hope, at least. Yes, yes. You said that it that the CLS embedding doesn't work as well as the token level alignment. I still wonder about that conclusion based on the data sets that you used, but we should probably talk about the experiments that you ran before we get back to that question. Yeah, sure. So you want to tell us about what exactly you ran and what the outcome was? Yeah, so first we looked at alignment. So for alignment, we have Europarl as our data set, and we had five languages each paired with English. We had Bulgarian, German, Greek, Spanish, and French. 
And we just chose this five because it was the intersection between Europarl and the XNLI dataset. So what we did is we used this data. We ran fast align in both directions and got the intersection and the one-to-one -one alignments. And using these alignments, we ran the alignment procedure where we minimized the distance between word pairs. And then the first experiment we ran was contextual word retrieval, where for each word in the English Europarl, you look at French Europarl and you look at its nearest neighbor. And then you check whether the nearest neighbor matches the ground truth word pair computed by fast align. In that experiment, we saw that if you run alignment, it makes the accuracies go up by a lot, which is probably not that surprising, given that you're basically optimizing the objective. And one nice thing is that BASPERT is like kind of bad for aligning Bulgarian and Greek with English, but it's better for Spanish and French, probably because they're more similar with English. But after you run explicit alignment, you get roughly 50% accuracy across the board. So that points to maybe how explicit alignment can overcome some of the shortcomings of just the joint multilingual pre-training procedure. And then the experiment we ran after this is testing on XNLI zero shot, which means we now take this aligned BERT and we plug it in instead of base BERT, and then we do the regular fine-tuning procedure on English data, and then we test on other languages. And what we found there is that the zero shot performance goes up by quite a bit, for the languages that were already good, like Spanish and French, it goes up by 1%. And then for the languages that were kind of bad, like Bulgarian and Greek, it goes up by like 5%. So that kind of matches our intuition that better alignment leads to better zero shot. And then we also had some analysis after that. Yeah, very nice. One thing I'll point out, going back to my earlier question, is that all of these languages that you used are Indo-European. Mm -hmm. They share a common ancestor. And so you you might think that you will get better than average token alignments in this setting. And so given that there is probably at least a somewhat reasonable token alignment using the token alignment instead of the CLS embedding could be expected to help. And I, I wonder if your experiment would give you the same result if you used some very different languages from entirely separate language families. Yeah, that's a good point. We did do some experiments with Hungarian, Polish, and Swedish, and it works roughly the same for those. And then we tried Chinese, Arabic, and Urdu. And those experiments were like briefer, so it's harder to say more from them, but it seems to help as much. Like for the original experiments, we used 200,000 sentences per word pair. And for this later experiment, we used 10,000 per word pair. But we saw that the zero shot for these three languages, Chinese, Urdu, and Arabic, still went up by like roughly 1%. But we haven't tried it on 200,000. One other thing I've been thinking about is that you haven't heard this episode yet, but in our last episode, we talked to John Clark about tie-dye QA, which is a multilingual question-answering data set that was intentionally collected with from scratch in each of the different data sets instead of involving a translator. And one point that John brought up in that episode was that when you're dealing with modeling translation ease, you can get some interesting artifacts. And I was interested to see that all of your experiments with XNLI, this cross-lingual natural language inference data set, that's all translationese because the, 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 the data started in English and then it was translated to th these other languages. And then you're using Europarl, which is also translationese, to align these multilingual embeddings. And perhaps, perhaps you're just seeing the gains that you're seeing because your model has picked up on something about translationese and 
if you had tested on something other than translation ease, maybe it wouldn't work so well. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about this before you mentioned it, but it's a very good point because we're computing token level alignments and the alignments are going to be way better for translation ease because you're, the translator will like translate roughly word for word. So that's a very good point. We did try some experiments that were very brief early on in the project on universal dependencies, which I don't think is translation ease. So they do universal part, parts of speech and dependency parsing. And we didn't see much gains for that. So it's possible that this is the reason, but there are lots of other confounds. Like this is syntax and not XNLI. And there's been some past work on syntax being in the earlier layers of BERT. In like Ian Tenney's paper, BERT rediscovers the NLP pipeline. He saw that syntax is in the earlier layers of BERT. But in Telmo Pyre's ACL paper, he saw that BERT is better aligned in the later layers and it's less aligned in the earlier layers. So there might be something there and it might be better to like align the earlier layers or something like that. So there are a lot of confounds here, but it's definitely a good point that translation ease is like a big factor in this. That's really interesting. So just to be a little bit more clear on your, your dependency parsing experiments, you said you didn't see gains from the contextual alignment relative to a like a word level rotation? Oh, no. Like after you run alignment, then you compare base BERT and aligned BERT and aligned BERT has like worse performance for English. Like even though you're... For English. Okay. So that means that like it's capability to model syntax is going down and like not just the alignments. And like, I wasn't sure whether like the gap between English and other languages was smaller or not or anything like that. But these are like kind of brief experiments and like hard, I wouldn't read too much into it because there's like a lot more to be done there, but it is a negative result for sure. Yeah, I hear what you're saying and I think there are so many open questions here. It's really interesting. So much to understand about what's going on in this multilingual stuff. I think I had one more small question. I assume on the, so you tested on six languages with XNLI. You, so there was English, Bulgarian, German, Greek, Spanish, and French. I assume that for some of these languages, you had more frequent, that the percentage of the overall tokens that were in a one-to-one -one alignment was higher. I would assume that Spanish and French, for instance, maybe, maybe German. Anyway, I would assume that for some of these languages, the, the unsupervised alignment has an easier time finding correspondences. And so then, in a sense, you have more training data, even for the same number of overall tokens, in your alignment loss function. So I, I wonder if there's any kind of correlation that you saw between performance or accuracy or utility of this cross-lingual alignment based on how much of the data actually was aligned. Yeah, actually, across the all the languages, the alignment percentage was roughly similar. So for French, it's like 0.65 or 0.66 or 0.67. And then for Bulgarian, it's like 0.72. And everything's between that. So like ranging for between 0.65 or so and 0.72 or so. And so that you mean like 72% of your tokens had a one-to-one -one alignment? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. That's surprising. That's not what I expected to hear. Yeah, okay. I... I don't know that much about word alignment as a problem. So yeah, I don't yeah, have much either. insight on this. 
Yeah, I was just wondering. So your objective, uh, I just had a, a quick question about your objective and uh, how it relates to the retrofitting idea that people used to talk about uh, in the pre-contextual embedding era, I guess. Uh, so what they did was essentially take uh, pre-trained word embeddings and uh, try to retrofit them to existing knowledge bases and stuff, right? So that they respect the relations that the knowledge base give you. In a sense, what you're doing sounds uh, very similar with contextual embeddings and trying to uh, align them across languages, right? I mean, would, would you agree that's a fair comparison? Yeah, I think that's similar. I'm not too familiar with the retrofitting work, but it does sound similar to what we're doing. Yeah, I think related to that, uh, I was wondering if uh, it would make sense to focus on specific word classes. Say, for example, you want to make sure that uh, maybe you want all the nouns in your data to be aligned. I mean, you want would it make sense to like uh, put a greater weight on specific word classes as opposed to other word classes? And do you think it's a it, it would make sense to modify that objective? And if if you would get anything based on that. Yeah, I actually thought about this, about like whether you can align not just meaning, but like syntax. Right. So like, can you make sure that similar syntactic structures across languages have similar embeddings? And you have syntax embeddings or something like that. Right. And I do think it makes a lot of sense. The method that I've come up with for that is just to train a parser, but share the output head. So... This would work for maybe like universal dependencies where you have the same output structure for all of the languages, mm -hmm. but you would basically feed in sentences from a bunch of languages. And then you would have a, have a single output head that has to predict the dependency relation between different positions. Right. And since you only have one output head, you're forcing the embeddings to be the same if you want the same predictions mm -hmm. for similar structures. So I think... You could think about this sort of alignment too, where you have an objective and you have training data and you don't need parallel data in this case. You just need like data across different languages and you can think about doing alignment for other things too. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That's really a good point. So the fact that you don't need aligned or parallel sentences for what you just described, I think is interesting. You could just uh, take maybe even Wikipedia documents in many different languages, which talk about probably similar things and uh, which are not necessarily aligned and uh, you could still use them. Yeah, you could use document level parallelism and then like get a document embedding and align the document embeddings. That's right. also pretty interesting. Yeah. These, this question reminded me also of some analysis that you did in the paper on how aligned different word classes were. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that analysis that you did? Yeah. So what we did is we split the test data into different sections. So we had like, we split it by part of speech. And then we looked at open class, we saw a pattern. So if you look at the accuracy breakdown by part of speech, you'll see that open class parts of speech, like noun, verb, adjective, adverb, have lower alignments. This is for base BERT, not aligned BERT. And then if you look at closed class categories, like conjunction or like stuff like that, or like determiner, then you'll have better alignments. And then if you have lexical overlap, like nu numerals, then you have the highest. So the part about lexically overlapping categories, having high alignment is pretty self-explanatory. But the part about open class and closed class, I think the hypothesis that we had kind of piggybacks off of Temel Pyre's hypothesis about like the ripple effect of co-occurring words. So 
the whole point of the mass language modeling objective is that you capture word co-occurrences. So if you look at the co-occurrence statistics of like the word apple, you can swap apple for so many different nouns and the sentence might still make sense or still be pretty common in your corpus because it's an open class word. So that suggests that the co-occurrence statistics are like less of a strong signal for alignment because even if Apple in English and Apple in Spanish have similar co-occurrence statistics, they'll still share, they'll still, they'll be similar to so many other nouns that it might not be that useful as opposed to like determiners or conjunctions or other words that serve syntactic categories or, or syntactic functions. You might see that like if you have co-occurrences for those, the co-occurrences are a stronger signal for alignment because you can't swap in one conjunction for another as easily, or you can't swap in one determiner for another as usually as easily. So perhaps that leads to better alignment. And this obviously depends on like the syntactic relationship between the two languages. But that was like the conclusion that we were led to. Interesting. Yeah, it was a nice, nice little piece of analysis. Great. This has been a really interesting discussion. I think I have asked all of my questions. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to or any final thoughts before we conclude? Not really. I had a lot of fun. So thank you for this. And yeah. Great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank, you. thank you for having me.